We've been studying Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and for a couple of weeks now we've been learning about sacrificial love and sacrificial living and last week we began to consider what that actually looks like in in a marriage situation and because Paul spoke firstly to the wives, that's what we did, we spoke firstly to the wives and um, as I finished last week I think I said something along the lines of women you'd better make sure you bring your husbands next week because the husband's going to get a bit of a doing this week because there's actually says more to the husbands than what it says to the wives Okay, but I want to begin with a little recap of last week and I'm going to give you just a couple of points to, to refresh you firstly sacrificial love and sacrificial living includes a life of living in submission all Christians not just women, are told to submit to one another. Now, in practice, we submit to Christ, uh, we submit to one another in the church, we submit to the authorities that God has put over us, right, all the authorities that we have in our own country. Um, We submit to our employers, we submit to our parents. Now, we don't submit because we're weak, we don't submit because we're forced to submit, we submit because we're strong. It's a choice that we, that we make and we submit out of reverence for Christ. Secondly, we touched on God's model for government and God's model for government is not a dictatorship nor is it a democracy. God's model for government is that some are chosen to lead and others are to accept that leadership and come under that leadership and so God's model for government is leadership and loyalty. And the simplest form of government is the governance of the family. And so within the family, God's design is for there to be leadership and loyalty. And God has appointed the husbands to be the leaders. Marriage is not designed as a democracy. because And the problem with a democracy, especially when you get down into a democracy of two, what happens when, well, who's going to make the decision when you disagree? And with a democracy, what usually happens is it's either the strongest or the, or the one who is more willing to ride roughshod over the other or the one who is um, most able to wrap you around their little finger who gets their way. Uh, and that's not God's design. It's not for us to be overbearing or manipulative. But this leadership is not a dictatorship. Leadership in the family is to be sacrificial leadership where the husband leads selflessly and giving of himself for the best interests of the wife. To lead selflessly is an expression of sacrificial love just as it is to accept to live under that leadership. To willingly submit to that leadership is also this sacrificial love. Husbands, If you don't sacrificially love your wives, you're going to make a terrible husband. And wives, if you don't sacrificially love your husbands, then you're going to have a hard time accepting that leadership. And so self-seeking behaviour from either party is what puts a marriage in peril. But we can guard against this self-seeking behaviour by living a life of worship. Because it's really hard to be self-seeking when we're worshipping the one who gave it all. I mean, Christ is the ultimate in 
What's the opposite of unself-seeking? Um, you know what I'm trying to say, hey. And Christ is the ultimate of that. And so that's where we left off last week. And we've already said a fair bit to the men. Um, but in addition to that, most of what we're going to talk about today is going to be directed to the men. Women, you can listen and um, you probably nod your head some of the time. Go, mm-hmm. um, but there will also be stuff there to, to um, apply in your lives as well. About a dozen years ago, I had a badly smashed talus. Now, that's a, the talus is a very important bone inside the ankle joint. Uh, the talus transfers your entire body weight from your, from your leg, from your leg bone, to all of the other bones in your feet. And it's not a good bone to break. It doesn't have a very good blood supply. And so it doesn't heal very well. And when the orthopaedic surgeon came to see me, and because it was such a major injury, I ended up with a head honcho and um, the consultant. And when he caught up with me, he said, Michael, I hope when the other doctors have been talking to you about this injury, they used the word big and used it often. And straight away I knew things weren't so good. And um, he said, because with this bone, usually even with a simple break, it it often won't heal. And yours has been pulverised. And I sort of knew then that things weren't, were even worse. But he said, oh sorry, and um, yeah. So anyway, he said, look, we'll we'll give it a go. We screwed the three biggest pieces of it together and we scraped out all of the other little bits and and, um, threw them away. Uh, But the odds are it probably won't heal and you're going to have to get this ankle fused. You'll probably be back here later. He was straight with me. He told me the truth right from the word go. And sure enough, we persisted with it for a couple of years, but the bone collapsed and I went back to the doctor and he said, yep, we're going to have to fuse your ankle. This time he lied to me. First time he was really straight, this time he lied. He said, Michael, you have to understand that this is the biggest decision that you are ever going to make in your whole life. He said, this decision is bigger than what house you're going to buy. It's bigger than choosing a career. It's even bigger than choosing who you're going to marry. That was the lie, you see. You see, my doctor's understanding of marriage was, hey, if Michael, if if you make a mistake there, it's okay, it can all be undone and you can give it another go. Now, I'd say getting my ankle fused, it certainly was a major decision, It's not the most important decision. To me, the single most important decision that I've ever made in my life was to say yes to Jesus Christ and to become his disciple. Is is there anybody else here that thinks that that was their most important thing? Okay, so there's a few nods and a few hands. Yep. The second most important decision that I ever made was to take the hand of somebody named Robin Stebbins. And before, before our friends and before our family, in the presence of God, we became husband and wife. You see, the doctor understood very well the consequences of the decision to get this ankle fused. Two separate bones were joined together. Uh, there was actually a third one that helped out a little bit there, the, the small bone. You know, uh, is it the tibia? The fibula. Fibula is the small one, runs down the back of your leg. And it actually helps you to bend your ankle. 
well, I didn't need that anymore because my ankle was never going to bend again. They chopped about that much off the bottom of it. And then they mushed that up. I hope I'm not making anyone sick, but they, they mushed it up into a paste. They screwed the ankle together and shoved this paste all into the... That's, that's what they call a bone graft. Have you ever heard of a bone graft? I thought it was be something really technical, you know, like you cut nice livers and you... No, no, you mash it up into a paste and jam the paste into the joint and then just set it all in plaster and leave it. And before long, it grows into one solid mass of bone, never to bend again. Two pieces of living bone became one flesh. Now, they used to be two independent bones and they could move independent of one another. I'm in trouble if my ankle bends, folks. I'm in big trouble. It's going to break and it's going to have a lot of pain. The doctor knew and he understood that it couldn't be undone. And that's what he was trying to tell me. What he didn't understand is this is exactly what happens in marriage. Two people, two separate people, used to be working independent of one another, come together and they're joined together and become one flesh. The rot sets in when we don't recognise that we're one flesh and we start wanting to work independent of one another and leaving one another. It begins when we become self-centred and we try to live as two separate people. And because we're one's flesh, that's why there is so much brokenness to deal with when a marriage ends. Or even when we start to to pull apart from one another. That's why there's so much brokenness. And Paul says husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Husbands, How much do you love your wives? Do you love them as much as you love yourself? Who comes first in your marriage? Does she come equal? Christ loves the church. He loves you and I. His own body. When husbands love their wives... They're loving their own body. Husband and wife become one flesh and we have to start seeing our wives as part of ourselves. Now there's an amazing revelation here about Christ. As the church, as disciples of Jesus Christ, you, me, we are the body of Christ. Now that's, I find that amazing. Later on we're going to come together at the back there and we're going to have communion together. We take the bread and the wine and we'll say this is the body of Christ. But communion isn't something that you do just with a piece of bread. 
all on your own. We're doing it together. We do it as the body of Christ. We, the body of Christ, gather around the table which reminds us of the body of Christ. And so we come together as the body of Christ. We come together in fellowship. And if you don't love your fellow disciple, well, you cannot love Christ because your fellow disciple is the body of Christ. 1 1 John chapter 4 says, If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. The people around you are the body of Christ. And so as we love Christ, we must also love one another. And that's the sort of love that we have to extend into our marriage relationships. We can't just love ourselves and not love our wives because our wives are part of ourselves. So what sort of love should husbands have for their wives? They all say, yeah, yeah, I love my wife. Maybe some of us will say, no, I don't think I do. Maybe some of us will say, well, I don't know what love is. Because what sort of love have we got to love our wives? Like, I obviously don't love my wife the same as I love T-bone steak. But 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 they're different sorts of love, aren't they? Hey, and that's where we have the limitations of the English language. Now I've probably told you before in in the New Testament. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and in the Greek New Testament, it actually uses three different words for love. Although there is another one which is sort of like a compound word, which I don't understand, but we won't look at it. But the three main words that are used often for, for love are phileo, eros, and agape, or agape, depending on who was your Greek teacher. Phileo is brotherly love. It's a companionable love. It's where you just love spending time with somebody. It's just, yeah, you just love hanging out together. Eros is the sexy, make-your-heart-race sort of love. It's the romance love. And agape or agape is the sort of love that God shows us. It is used especially of love based on evaluation and choice. It's a matter of the will and action. It's where you determine, well, am I going to love this person or not? Yes, I will. And you set your mind and you show them love. And, and love is a very practical thing. So with those three sorts of loves, what, what sort of love do you think husbands need to have for their wives? Any guesses? It's all three. It's all three of them. It, it, it usually begins with eros love. Boy meets girl. Girl meets boy. Girl flutters her eyelids at boy. Boy's heart state starts to race and he starts getting all of these gooey feelings that he's never had before and those were the days. Romantic love, right? It's what a lot of people say, oh, I've fallen in love. And some people can fall in love three or four times a day with three or four different people, so they say. The trouble with falling in love, though, is you can just as easily fall out of it. If your idea of love is just romantic love, 
Yeah, you can fall into it and you can fall out of it. But as love develops between a man and a woman, although often it happens, sometimes this might be the first love to develop, is the filio love, the brotherly love, a, a companionable love, a love where you just enjoy being with that other person. You just enjoy being in their company. You enjoy doing things together. Sometimes you can just sit in silence. But because you're with the other person, you're happy. And so marriages need both these kinds of love. But at some stage, eros and philio, romance and enjoying one another's company, at some stage, sometimes these things just tend to fade or be absent altogether. Because I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but that there will be times when you don't feel romantic. And there'll be times when, when you're actually not enjoying the other person's company, especially when he's just left his dirty socks sitting on the kitchen bench. Now, how can love be never-ending when these feelings have come to an end? Well, they might come in and out, but they're not there all the time. Well, there is one form of love that never fades. And the more we practice this kind of love, the more the other forms of love will also come to life and have new life breathed in them, into our marriages and and in all relationships. By their love, that is. Agape love. This love, which is an act of the will, is the sort of love that husbands are commanded to give their wives. Now this is the only one that's not based on a feeling. The others are based on feelings. This one isn't. We are to love our wives as Christ loves the church. Now that is a selfless love. It is a sacrificial love. It's the sort of love that's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know that passage on love? Love is patient. Love is kind. We're going to get to it very shortly. You know, very often we have this at weddings and I've always thought, well, I don't know whether we really should have this reading at a wedding because it's actually talking about spiritual gifts and how the church should be with one another. But I came to the conclusion this week, no, it's appropriate to have it at weddings and the reason is because this is describing agape love. And it's agape love that husbands are commanded to have their wives. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 describes it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Husbands, do you love your wives? There's a pretty good indicator um, at Men's Bible Study a couple of weeks ago we actually studied this passage we've been studying Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and we actually came to it and we did this in Men's Bible Study and, and, um, but now I just want to extend it a little bit 
I want you to do is I want you to read that Bible verse again and whenever you see the word love, you stick your name in there and see how it sounds. And read it in relation to your relationship with your wife. Let me give you an example. And just picture whether, okay, does this actually sound right? Is this true what I'm saying or is this um, saying something that's not true? So you stick your name in there, but I'll stick mine in. Michael is patient. Michael is kind to Robin. He does not envy her. He does not boast to her. He is not proud. Michael is not rude to Robin. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered and he keeps no record of her wrongs. Michael does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. He always protects Robin, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Michael never fails Robin. Now, you read through and put your name in there. Now, does it have a ring of truth to it? Or does it just sound wrong? It's sort of like looking in the mirror, isn't it? And going, well, that's what I should look like, uh, but apparently I don't. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Men, we need to nourish and cherish our wives. That doesn't mean that we have to cook food, because we all know that they probably cook cook better than we do. Um, Although we can cook too, there's nothing wrong with that. But what does it mean to nourish and cherish our wives? Just because you are the leader in your family, that doesn't mean that you consume your wife. How did Christ love the church? He became a servant. Your wife is not a slave to abuse. She is not a servant to be consumed and used up and worn out. In fact, if you love your wife, you'll actually serve her. Because that's what Christ did. We have to love our wives as Christ loves the church. And Christ was the servant. Husbands and wives do not serve themselves. They serve each other. Husbands, you will nourish her to build her up and you will cherish her. To cherish her, I think probably the best way to describe that is to say, just know and remind yourself that she is the best gift that you've ever been given and will ever be given, apart from Christ. The, um, it just dawned on me today, um, as we did the Bible reading, um, the, it talked about Christ uh, the church was going to be presented to Christ right? the church will 
to present to Christ. And I think it was pronounced as present. And that's exactly what it's like. Christ is having a present given to him. That's what it means to be presented. And the church will be given as a present to Christ. And guess what? Husbands, your wife has been given. She has been presented to you. She is like a present. Cherish her. Nourish her. I have no idea where I'm up to. Verse 31. Thank you, Robin. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. When you get married, your your relationship with your parents changes, and if it hasn't, you're in big trouble. Men, a little bit of a very um, practical advice, never say to your wife, well, mum did it like this. Um, You know, that's not good advice to to tell your wife. Um, You've left your parents. You've left your mum. You are now joined together with your wife, and you're beginning your new family. There is a leaving and there is a joining. Your wife is part of you. Her best interests are your best interests. Sacrificial leadership is what godly husbands do. Now, I'm just wondering, um, I feel very inadequate teaching on this. Is there any perfect husbands or perfect wives here who, who could... Oh, Yako's the perfect husband. I think you're having a language difficulty right now, Yako. <laughs> None of us are perfect. Least of all the person doing the preaching this morning. And I thank God for his grace and his mercy and I thank God for Robin's grace and mercy as well. But also for the chance that we have to be for new beginnings. Yep, I reckon I can say with confidence every one of you have made some pretty big messes in your marriage. I've messed up stuff in my marriage. Why wouldn't you have messed up stuff in yours? Because eh? I'm a failure. Most of you probably are too. But our Lord loves fixing stuff. He loves fixing stuff. He loves making new things out of old. He loves taking old creations and making them new. And that's what he can do with our marriages. We have a part to play. We submit to Christ. We submit to one another. And as husbands and wives... We make a conscious decision that we're going to love one another sacrificially instead of selfishly. Marriages can be healed and restored and renewed to the glory of God. Anybody have any questions? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your love that you've shown us. Lord, where would we be without you? Hopeless, destitute, God-forsaken. Lord, help us to value our husbands and our wives just like that. That we would be able to say to our wives or to our husbands, where would I be without you? You are part of me. Lord, help us to truly live as if we are one flesh. Lord, some of us have probably been putting some pretty big strains on the other. And it's like we're tearing one another apart. God, forgive us. And Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts, that you would soften us, that you would renew our marriages, restore our relationships. That our marriages, Lord, would bear witness to our hope of Christ's return. We pray this in Jesus' name.